Welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Alan Clark and Buddy's back from his new album, I'll Never Forget. This is another special Strange Brew where I've got Alan with an extensive interview on his fantastic career in music, covering the Hollies as well as solo highlights. So let's hear my chat with Alan. Hello, Alan. How are you? I'm great. It's fantastic to speak with you because um, we spoke about nine years ago to support the release of uh, Sideshow, your solo collection. And it's fantastic to sort of hear and see what's happened since in that your, I guess, no pun intended, the resurgence of your solo career, which has culminated in your new album, I'll Never Forget. That's great. I mean, I don't know how it's happened at all. <laughs> One day I was just sat in my chair thinking about what a great life I've got. And then all of a sudden I had this song going through my head and I thought I better put that down, which I did. And it started from there. So I'm, I'm just in a whirlwind of, of resurging, you know, from the past to the present. It's, it's all been crazy. It really has. And your new single is poignant in that it connects back into your early years, not only with the inspiration of Buddy Holly, but your lifelong friendship with Graham Nash. Yeah, very much so. When I'd done the first album and uh, I met Graham and he wanted to hear it, he sat there with the cans on all the way through and he said, wow, he said, that's really good, that's great. And he said, well, maybe we can do something in the future. Well, that was about four years ago. 
and uh, intermediate to that, we've been seeing each other off and on with the with mutual friends that he he knows and I know. And and each time he said, "When are we going to do this?" So what happened was, I did actually a, a FaceTime to Graham. I said, "Look, let's let's do it instead of talking about it. Let's do it." And he said, "Okay." He said, "You send me some songs, and and I'll write something for the album." And so I said, "Wonderful." So immediate to that, I, I had been writing songs, yeah. and this one particular song, which is called "I'll Never Forget." And I wrote that about the uncertainty of actually doing it with Graham. It might happen or it might not happen. Uh, so it's, it's a collective, of, it's an, a collective of, of words hoping that it will happen. But if it doesn't, I still, I'll never forget what happened anyway. So it was one of those type of songs. I, I sent it to him and he said, OK, let's do it. And that broke the camels back. And uh, we said, OK, let's go ahead. And... Uh, We've done it. We've finished the album, and 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 I'm very very pleased with it. Graham's very very pleased with it. The song that's on it, I, you know, I wrote all the songs on the album because when we were halfway through, Graham says, "Well, I look to see this is the way that it's going. Is that this should be your solo album?" Yeah. He said because, well, I, I I was quite relieved in in a way. The songs that I was writing were for me and him in the way that we used to write songs in the past. Yeah which showed our harmonies together beautifully. And he said, but I will write, I'll write a song about something about us in the past. I said, I've got this one, it's called Buddy's Back. And, you know, I'll send it to you and see what you think. So it ended it being my, my solo album, which he sings all the harmonies on, which, which was brilliant. And, and Buddy's Back, because Graham and I are in a thing called the, the Buddy Holly Education Foundation. Yeah. And we've got, we were presented with a guitar each of, uh, of a famous Buddy Holly guitar that he used to write his songs on. And he, he also chiseled a leather jacket for the actual, he was a Gibson really. And I, I, I met Graham at the Albert Hall because that's where I was going to pick up. And, <laughs> and halfway, halfway through, I went, I went to see him in, you know, in the dressing room. He says, right, we're starting the show and we're going to start it with bus stop. So you better be ready to do it. I hadn't even rehearsed anything, you know, it was crazy. So there I was, stood on the famous stage again at the Albert Hall in, in the middle of uh, Graham, David Crosby and this, this Stephen Stills, which was absolutely fabulous for that to happen to even to them or to me. I don't, well, you know, when I actually walked on stage, the, the Albert Hall, it was just fantastic. I never thought that I'd be there with the people standing on their feet actually applauding and cheering and things like that. And so I went into it and, and I did my imitation of what I could do singing in up at that particular time. But then that's when I got my guitar off Graham and he got his. Mine's called Peggy Sue Got Married. Um, I did want Peggy Sue <laughs> but I could because someone else had got it. So there's my guitar and it's, it's on my wall over there. And, and I write all my songs on it. And that's how he started even re re Resurgence. Is you know, like every modern I come, I come here with this used to be a bedroom, yeah, right. But at that particular time, I'd, I'd just put my guitars on the wall there, and I always pull the Buddy Holly guitar down from the wall. And and the first thing I do is play Peggy Sue, <laughs> you know. And really, I haven't worked on that further with the chords, really. I mean, I started with doing three chords, and now I think I've got to five, <laughs> now, which to me is, is five is enough. So that's that's me and my guitar. 
and what Graham and I do for the Holly uh, the Federation. And uh, I think the Buddhist is back. He tells a story, and this is the type of way that Graham writes his stuff. He says it so eloquently in, in so few, few words and about us getting the guitars, hearing Buddy Holly, trying to copy him in whatever he do, and all the other rock and roll people that we found uh, that, that were coming on the scene at that time. And, and eventually we got to the Everly Brothers, but this is a song about Buddy Holly because we named the group after him. Yeah. You know, it was as simple as that. And uh, it's a really, really nice, catchy song, which I, we wanted to put that out as the first single because it relates to me and Graham and how we really sound when we sing together. And when, when they do hear that, they, they go, oh, yeah, there's the Holly sound. So, yeah, I'm really pleased with that. And I'm pleased that Graham actually said, yes, let's do it. So here we are. And that's one of the great things about Buddy Holly is, and it's perhaps one of the hardest things in songwriting, is that simplicity simplicity yeah. of the melody lines and, and sometimes the lyrics but that's a lot harder than than people think um well it can be easy writing songs and you could make it really hard by trying to write a song that's going nowhere yeah that's the beauty of songs the ones that are hits seem to be the most simplest songs that have been written like when i wrote long cool woman with uh, roger cook i mean we met at park lane in, in park street where the the air offices were and we went down into the basement and we had, a, we had a bottle of brandy. I had my guitar and, and he had his ukulele, which was weird. And there was also a piano there. And really, we didn't know what we were going to do. But, you know, Roger came out and said, I've got this idea about this beautiful woman who's mad about a DA guy or the DA guys. I said, all right, what have you got there? So I've got a few lines. Let's start it. So we did. And within half an hour, I think we we're about half a bottle, half a bottle of brandy down, and the song was finished. And, and I thought, oh well, that's really good. That's great because I'm recording an album with the Hollies. That'll be okay. That'll be on. The, that'll be on the album. Never ever knowing that someone in America was going to pick that up and run with it, and the, the rest was history. I was just, I, I was quite annoyed. <laughs> well, not annoyed at myself, but annoyed at the Hollies that at that particular time I'd said I wanted yeah. to do my own album. And this, this is quite an old story that I've said many, many times. That I didn't really want to leave the band, but I, I didn't really have... Uh, they, they, they said, look, if you, then that's it, bye-bye. And I think that that was probably one of the worst, the worst mistakes they ever made, is actually made the leave the group then when I had a number two riding in the charts with the Hollies, with just me playing guitar, singing it. So I... I said, well, maybe I can come and do it and promote it with you. They said, no, no, we're going to do it ourselves. I think the group then could have actually bounded up the American charts, maybe making it number one. And I think the groom would be the group would have got a lot hotter in America if I was like in front of the guys doing that. But that never happened. But that never worries me because I still own the song and, and, and the song is still being played. So it was a good it was a good song to be a part of. Shame it didn't happen the other way around. Mm. You reconnected with that feel on a track from your previous album, Resurgence, with Long Cool Woman's Back in Town. So you've took that template and remodelled it. Yeah, well, you know, not all is not all is uh, love and war. You know, it's not always like lovey dovey. Um, he was a DA, and she, you know, she was a girl that put herself about for a while. And actually, what I what I wanted to do is write a song of what happened when they when they left that club hand in hand and went off into the horizon. And it didn't really work out for him. 
sometimes the right way is the wrong way to go, which is the chorus of it. And that's what happened to them. They tried to make a life for themselves, but she was just the type of girl who couldn't stay with one man too long. And uh, the whole story is told in the song. Yeah.
to go back to Buddy Holly, it's amazing some of the the themes or the connections with Buddy Holly that comes out. I think you've mentioned a, a moment where you were, appeared on uh, the Rolling Stones' Not Fade Away, a, a Buddy Holly song, which I, I'm not yeah. sure is, is widely told, but that's a great example of another sort of connection there. Well, the story is that Graham and I were walking in London in where it used to be Tin Pen Alley, it was Wardour Street. And as we were walking down, this guy was walking towards us and it was Phil Spector. And Graham, Graham remembers it well because Phil Spector had a pair of red cowboy boots on, which I thought was absolutely fabulous. I'd never seen them before. But anyway, we were halfway down Water Street and this, this door opened uh, as we passed it. And it was the it, it was somebody that we didn't know, but he said, oh, Alan, Graham, Phil. He said, uh, the guys are in here. They want some help. And we said, well, who are the guys? So he says, you know, you know, it's Mick. And, and oh, I said, the stones, you mean? He said, yeah, yeah, come on in. So we went in. And when we went in, we uh, we, we found there was an, another guy there, a 24 hours from Tulsa. Oh, Gene Pitney. That's right, Gene Pitney. And when we stood all around this one microphone with Mick as, as he was singing it. And we all had different things to play. And we said, well, what are we doing? So we're doing Not Fade Away. And it's, it's the Buddy Holly. So we thought, oh, well, that's great. And we actually got on the B-side as well. But, um, yeah, as that was a great memory. It really was. And, and I think the feel that he got out of that with that song, so different from the way the Buddy did it, but it turned it into a Stone song as well as a Buddy Holly song. Everything gets done by chance. You know, I, I do believe that if you're in the right place at the right time, things happen. And that's happened to me all the way through my life, that, you know, things have happened. And that it's been in a good way, but in a bad way at the same time, some, some of them, are, you know what I mean? You learn by your bad mistakes as well as you, the way that you live. So that was one of them, yeah, the Stones. And in the mid-90s, um, when you still were with the Hollies, you reconnected again with Graham Nash for a song with Buddy Holly, the recordings of Buddy Holly, Peggy Sue Got Married. Yeah. So that was, um, it must have been quite a, a strange or amazing moment that you kind of got to sing harmonies to Buddy Holly. Well, what happened was, and I don't think there were a lot of harmonies on that song, Right. Uh, but what happened, I'd known about that by a, a friend of mine in Los Angeles. And then I said, well, I wonder what song we're going to do. And and I want to do, because I'm a, I'm a rocker, I'm a rock and roller. It was, it was one of the other songs uh, of Buddy Holly that I prefer to do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from Graham uh, out of the blue, and um, he said, I've got the song that we should do with Buddy Holly. And I thought, oh, I thought the Hollies were doing something. I didn't know you were involved. So Graham got involved. But the reason why I liked he got involved, that he had a recording of Buddy Holly's voice and with no backing on it, right? And I've still got that. And I thought, well, I wonder how they've done that, because this was a long time ago. Yeah. And when he brought it, he said, we can put our backing track onto Buddy Holly's voice. He said, this is going to be really weird, singing along with Buddy Holly. And it was, it, it, I think they made a good, they did a good score of it at that time. Yeah. Holly's. And uh, it, it went, because it was part of the Buddy Holly uh, remembrance uh, of all the songs that he'd done. And, and there was a lot of people on the album. And it was only much later actually when the Buddy Holly Education Foundation came into reality, which was around two, 2009, 2010. Yeah. Well, another, another great thing that there, you think you're going to go down one path and all of a sudden another one comes up, but it's a good path. 
Although the Hollies had some fantastic hits of, of songs by other artists, even back at the very earliest days of the Hollies, you were writing with Graham. I don't know if it was the very first session that you did with the Hollies. Hey, what's wrong with me? That was a song that you you wrote with Graham. Yeah, well, we used to write in the early days. You know, I mean, when we were fourteen year old, when we were doing skiffle, you know, <laughs> we tried to write skiffle songs, but you know, they weren't going anywhere because there was too many skiffle bands around at that particular time. So it was great, actually, that it did turn into rock and roll. And, and of course, the Everly Brothers came along and we just fell in love with their music. So we decided, we, we were trying to write songs with thinking about them and how the harmonies would go. And Hey, What's Wrong With Me is just one of that songs that we sat down, we could have been in a park and wrote it. It just came very easily. And when we got into recording uh, with uh, Ron Richards, he said, well, have you got yeah. songs? which we played, and we said, oh, they're great, but the B-sides, which is not a good thing to hear, you know. What do you mean, B-sides? Well, it's good for a B-side, you know. We'll just stick with the songs that, that I choose at the moment. I know what's good for you. And he was right. He was right for a while. And, and then we wrote We're Through, which was like the opening to have a, a single, which was great, and, and it was a hit. So that's really when we started writing together, in, in a way that we, we made it that, that little bit more serious than just getting a couple of guitars, sit, jangling, getting into a, into a form. When I look back, actually, on those old, those old songs, I think they should have been singles. Yeah. But, you know, we were outvoted by one man, <laughs> Ron. But anyway, we didn't miss it. It's, uh, they're there, you know, and, and I still think they're great songs. I mean, actually, there was a, we took part in a film with Frankie Vaughan uh, it's called It's All Over Town. Mm. <laughs> we thought it was great. Oh, we're going to be in a movie. You know, and they said, well, if you, 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 which song would you like to do? And uh, I thought, well, what kind of song do you want? And they said, well, have you got anything like the, the twist? Because that was big at that particular moment. And we'd just written a song that you all know, baby, you got a new dial. Now, I've got a copy of that. But Graham and I recorded that song that we wrote a place called Johnny Roadhouses in Manchester. And we actually recorded that along with an Everly song. And, and I forget what the other two were, but I still got the disc, oh. you know, with things on it. You know, I think there was only about four discs made, 
but that that song is on it. Uh, Derry Quinn was playing guitar on that session. Uh, I think we had a guy called Pete Boggin, and he was a brilliant guitarist. He, he really was. And a drummer, Joe Abrams. And, and we were just making a demo to send it to somebody to see if we could get somewhere. That didn't make it. That one didn't make it. So, But, yeah, we, we used to write songs before we became famous. They weren't going anywhere because we never thought we were going to get anywhere. That was the last thing in our minds when we were playing. We were going out to enjoy ourselves. Yeah. And we did. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Hey, hey, just what's wrong with me? You've been looking far too good to me. I know our love could never be now. My heart, it keeps on beating. Been cheating. I know our love could never be now. I tried, how I tried to keep you satisfied. By me, oh gee, you go from me and how I cried. Oh, hey, hey, just what's wrong with me? You be looking far too good to me. I know our love could never be. And the strength of the songs really started to shine in the next few years. Even songs, I don't know if this was a single over here, although I think it was elsewhere, Put Yourself in My Place, yeah, which I think should have been released over here. But your songwriting really developed. Well, it did. And, and because we got into a threesome at that particular time. Yeah. So it's three, three guys having ideas with the same song. And really, I think that was a good thing because there were, there were parts in songs that the Hollies did uh, was when you got to a middle eight, the middle eight had to be just as good as what went before the middle eight. And that's where I usually came in on the songwriting, as well as lyrically and things like that. But I, I always got in to doing what, like in Carrie Ann, there's a great middle eight in that. You're so, you're so like a woman to me. Mm. I mean, that was my, I, <laughs> that was my bit of that song in there. Quite yeah. lucky to get that on because I, I remember we were on a TV show. And I'd just been to the canteen. I was walking by and I heard these voices come from the dressing room. And they were was singing this song, something about tambourine, man. And, uh, and I walked in and said, well, what's all this then? And they said, well, we're singing this song. Tell me what you think. When they got to the second verse, I went into, oh, you're so, so like a woman to me. And they said, oh, that's it. That's all I did in Carrion. Yeah. But when you get to other songs, you know, you virtually, you virtually finish the song before you take it to the guys. And they put their embellishment on it and things like that. But you could have written that song, Bruce. It could have gone out as its own. But no, we wrote it as a threesome. 
like most partnerships do, you know, you, it doesn't matter what you've written on on the record, you share it. Because yeah. whatever you put in has made that. What's the attraction in what they're doing? Hey, Carrie what's your game now? Can anybody play? Hey, Carrie what's your game now? Can anybody play? You're always something special to me, quite independent, never caring. You lost your charm. Nineteen sixty-six seemed to be a, a bit of a turning point. The sixties moved on, and, and influences and things got more sophisticated. But for certain, because as, as an album, I think that was the first Holly's album where you wrote all of the material yourselves. Yeah, that was nineteen sixty-six, I think, and uh, that album cover was done in New York. It might have been the first time we went there. Anyway, so yeah, uh, we we had some shots taken there, and, and the, the, I thought the cover was great. I thought what we'd done on the album was great. And I think that was the first album that we were taking seriously. People started to say, oh, they can write songs. These guys, these guys can, you know, not getting on the verge of, of being sort of uh, with the Beatles on one side and us on the other. It was never like that with the Beatles or with the Stones to come to that. We, we were all very, uh, very proud of what we did. You know, each group did what. Uh, and we thought that for certain because it was a, a new opener. All of a sudden, you know, we could write decent songs. 
and, and it sold quite a few copies. And there's songs off there that I don't know how many people are aware of that are just beautiful, like uh, the song Crusader. It predates Love's Forever Changes, which is a, a masterpiece, in that the arrangements of that song, as, as well as in some material from the album, are just much more sophisticated in the lyrics as well. Crusader as well has got a historical theme. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd love to see in films about knights on horses killing each other, <laughs> you, know, you know, and the King Arthur thing, you know, that, that, that a lot of that came in. But I think that Graham had uh, most of the, the lyrics of that rather than the feel of it. But, you know, there was many songs. I, I mean, I've got, I think I've got the album up there because I, I wanted to sort of remind myself what was on it. I thought, w- was Would You Believe on there? That certainly was that period, wasn't it? Well, that, that whole song was me. That I used to like singing in, in that way. And, and it was a little song about two people that had parted. And, and again, that is a different way of writing a song, as was with, like, Crusader. What do you do? You get this idea in your head and you finished it. I wrote it on a 12 string. It's the first time I'd ever played a 12 string. And, and I liked that song. I really liked that song. I redid it, actually. Yeah. I, redid it, I redid it on one of my albums because I thought I might be able to do a better version than having a bit looser, you know, and a bit more orchestrated. There's a great solo bit in my other, would you believe, on there. And, and uh, that was a guy called Ray Glynn who was with me when I was... Ah, uh, the Mirage. Yeah. And, well, I mean, I came across him when I said I wanted to make a, a solo album. Suddenly I found this guy that played brilliant guitar and I really liked him. And I thought, oh, this guy's good fun. And we, we did do a lot together um, with my solo albums. Yeah, I, I enjoyed making those solo albums. Somebody said, yeah, we can hear that when we, when we listen to it. <laughs> Can't tell you the real stories about that album, but there you go. <laughs>
Going to My Name Is Harold, uh, released in 72, Ray's all over that. Yeah. One of my favourite songs for that is a song which I think was just credited to you, which was Baby, It's All Right With Me, which it feels a bit sort of Dylan-esque. Well, that was one of my songs. Those are my mm. What Ray did, he did a, a great guitar sort of um, very, very early. What I thought about that very early was more or less down to an American-style folk come rhythm i would like to think like stephen stills would play i'm a big fan of stephen stills and uh, to me i think it's more american than english 
I mean, that intro, down, 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 down. I could never get that. I can't play that on the guitar. So, yeah, he he um, he did all the arrangements on that particular song, and I'm glad he did. And uh, I went home early one evening because I had to do something else. And I left Ray there. And when I came back, he said, well, listen to this. And he put a solo on it, which I thought, oh, that, that makes the song. You know, that guitar beat, down, down, down. Really, I thought, oh, well done, man. Yeah, I love that. It was a good song.
And then going back to, I think, around 67, latter period of when Graham was in the group, the songwriting there for the singles, and you mentioned Carrie Ann earlier, showed that your own material was as, as strong, if not stronger, than the material that, that were hits earlier. Yeah. I think you seem to have mastered what made it a great pop song with that song. Well, we, you know, when we, as you know, Carrie Ann, when we started, I didn't know, I knew whose idea it was, but I got in on that idea. But there are other things like um, Jennifer Eccles. Yeah. I think this is where Graham started getting a bit annoyed about, you know, what he was doing with the boys and, and really wanted to move on. But uh, I think it was with King Midas in reverse that it was his baby. You know, we, we let him have his head on the Butterfly, Butterfly album, of which about, I think he sings about four of the songs, uh, which were more than less his, the way he wanted to go. And um, I don't know, we... When it didn't make it, I, th- I think Graham over it or orchestrated it too much, and and I think that he'd been piling out with uh, I'll listen to the Beatles too much. I think after you know Sergeant Peppers came out, he he saw a new way forward really, and you couldn't do that with the Hollies. <laughs> anyway, it'd been done by them, but th- when it failed, coming in at number fifteen and staying there, to us was a failure. Yeah, you know. So there was one night we were together. I was with my wife, Jenny, and he was with his first wife, Rose. And I said, well, let's write a silly song. And it was like Jennifer Eccles. Just, came, you know, we, it was easy to write those kind of songs that we were well known for. But Graham didn't want to be a part of that anymore. But, you know, when we took it to Ron and Ron says, oh, let's record it. We recorded it. And he, I think it, came, it went into number two. You know, and, and then it just showed what the people wanted from the Hollies. They wanted us to sound like the Hollies. They wanted to feel happy about the Hollies. There, there were songs in between all the other songs we wrote, you know, we wrote which were uh, had a serious message in, in most of the way. But we were known for doing that, you know. So it's not as if we could uh, pick one whole album out about songs saying, you know, stop pulling the trees down. So you know, don't you know the political side of it wasn't our, our thing to do as the Hollies. But, you know, we went on to write other things. I mean, he, he recorded with us quite a lot after that, after Jennifer Records. Yeah. And we, and we had hits, you know. So the reason for him to, to leave was because he didn't want to be a part of that, what he called pop bubblegum songs. Hey, you know, we, we made a living out of that. I mean, what can you do when you've got the Beatles on one side, you've got the songs on the other, and you're known as being the Hollies? You don't want to stand outside that, you know, that, that little part of the, the dartboard that's yours, you know. All right, then you, you, you'll get lost. Well, Graham decided that, you know, it's time for him to go. He didn't make that apparent. If you look at the videos that we've made with him, you know, just before he left, listen to me, you know, and all those other yeah. Same. I mean, again, it's, uh, he didn't want to stay with the hip group. He won't eat. He went over to America and, and he fell in love with David Crosby and Stephen Stills, who, who were, fr- well, David wasn't a friend of mine, but I knew Stephen very well because I'd, I'd met him at the Buffalo Springfield years before, uh, along with Neil and, and Richie, all those people. And um, I remember we went over, when we went over to Los Angeles, um, I remember them coming back to the hotel after a show we'd done at the Whiskey Go-Go, which everybody was there who wanted to see us. We brought the house down and, you know, everyone was raving. 
And um, I, I went to bed because I was tired, but I did hear guitars strumming yeah. in the room, and, and I knew that was Crosby that was singing, and I knew that was Stephen that was, you know, and I thought, oh, well, they're having a jam. So it was, it was, it was planned in such a way that it wouldn't be noticed. Anyway, I was told by a friend of mine in Hampstead, and he came up to me and said, you know, Graham's formed a group. I said, no, uh, I had no idea that was happening. And then it all came out, and Graham said, yes, he wanted to leave. It wasn't, it wasn't a good time for the Hollies. It wasn't a good time for me or the rest of the guys. We did have a big meeting with everybody involved, the heads of EMI and things like that. And Graham said, well, I've made my mind up. It doesn't matter what you do, I'm going. And he left, he left the meeting. So I was actually devastated, even though I hid it very well. Yeah. You know, I had a family. <laughs> you know, none of the guys in, in, in the group had got kids. I was the only one that had two children. And uh, that was something that I would never, ever do, like just nip off to leave a group and go up to another group, <laughs> knowing that this other group that you're going to has got a brilliant guitarist and songwriter, and the other guy's a brilliant singer and is a songwriter, and the three of them together make a great sound. I don't know. I, 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 would, I would have had to have thought twice about that because I'm a family man. When Graham left, he'd left everything. And, uh, and that was how he started Crosby, Stills and Nash. And it was an instant hit, which it couldn't miss, could it? When you think about it, <laughs> I know. It couldn't, it, you know, it couldn't go wrong. So, you know, I, I, I sat myself down and I thought, oh, come on, Al. Like, you know, you're the lead singer for crying out loud. You know, you, you've got a sound which everybody loves. You've got to try and find somebody to replace Graham. And Terry Sylvester came along. I liked him immediately. A good-looking guy. He had a great voice, and he could yeah. play rhythm guitar, which was what Graham did. He had he had all three in spades. Yeah. And we recorded Terry Suzanne, and it went straight to number two. So that's when my worrying about Graham stopped. But I did worry. Uh, for quite a while about whether we would make it without him, but we did. And uh, and he famously says on on uh, a DVD that we we did back in two thousand and ten, uh, the British invasion. He said, "How did they have the audacity to actually record two number ones without me?" <laughs> so he said, "He said it, not me." But there you go. So we both we both followed a different path, and we were both successful.
And over the years, obviously, I've seen in, in, in airports and hotels and things like that. And we have done other things together. Yeah. Like, like making an album, which uh, we had a hit, which was called Holidays. Uh, and yeah. they have one of those hand clap things. And I think Tony and Bobby have put it together, got in the charts. And Top of the Pops wanted us to do it and said, well, we need what we need from you is the original people that played on these records. Anyway, Graham. Graham said, yeah, I'll do it, yeah. Send me some tickets, I'll come over, which he did. And, and after the show, he came to the studio where we were recording and said, oh, I like this, I like what you're doing. So I was thinking, hang on a minute, you've left the group, and, and what, what's happening here? And it turned out that, he, okay, he got into the group. It wasn't what I wanted to do. He left the group. And that was it. But Tony and Bobby thought it was a good idea. So we went ahead with it. And we toured America. And we made an album uh, in America called What's Go- What Goes Round. And we were with Graham for about three weeks, finishing the album in LA, and then going on to tour. Then when the tour ended, I don't think I saw Graham ever for a, for a couple of years after that. So it, that wasn't a part of the, the plan that I had. But as I said right at the beginning, Things are offered you and you're in the right place. Sometimes it's the you think it's the wrong thing to do. But maybe I learned a lot from that, actually. I learned a lot from that. And I think that I gained more confidence as well. At the beginning of all this time, I didn't really have all that much confidence or ambition. Ambition was never one of my things that I wanted to do in a group. I wanted to enjoy what I was doing and well, be the highest. Well, so you know, my my life changes. Every day, I live a day at a time, and so I don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I just let that happen. You have to make you have to make some plans, obviously. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's been good until somebody says I'll give you a, a contract, BMG, and yes, I love your album. We'll put it out. What? <laughs> you know, for sixteen years, I've done not done anything it's out of the blue. Again, amazing. I've even actually learned to do forty tracks on on. Garage, wow. and actually play some of the instruments as well because you can do that now. You know, before when I was songwriting, I had to have someone who could play the guitar but with more than four chords. You know, so they would they would strum the guitar, and I would sing the, my part of the song, and then ask to go to another because I think the note goes up here. Wait, can you find that chord where that is? I think it'll be good. That's the way I used to write songs with the with the boys. I never had a guitar to do it. Now I can. Was Journey of Regret a song reflecting on kind of your, your break from music and, and, and coming back? It's about life, really. And as I was saying, there are things that happen in your life where, where you're very happy. There are some where you're very sad. There's some where you're very angry. You know, all the, all the things that you have emotionally uh, within one's life can make you do things that you, you thought you would never do and things that you missed that you thought you should have done. And what they are, they're sort of one line, they're one liners. You can be riding a rainbow one day and the next, the minute you're on top of a wall and the wall collapses. You know, so that's what that song is about. It's a journey of regrets. Now, when you regret something, it's either you regret you didn't do it or regret that you did do it. You know, so regrets is not just one thing. Having a regret can go two ways. Uh, and, and that's what happens to me quite a lot when you go one way and you suddenly think, oh, I should have done that. So that's what Journey of Regrets is. They're all my regrets, only one song. 
if that makes any meaning to you. I know it does to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bunch of words that you, that you can get out of it what you want to get out of it.
the sound of the Hollies continued to evolve. And there's some of those albums from the, the 1970s that deserve a, a greater hearing. Um, a Crazy Steel is a, a case in point, a, a shifting sound, possibly a bit of an American sound. And there's uh, songs like The Writing on the Wall. There's, there's almost a bit of a Springsteen element to some yeah. of that. I love Springsteen. You know, he's, he's, he's a friend. I mean, it's not that they've had picking the phone up and talk to him every day. It's not. But I, I do remember uh, way back when um, I was in a publisher's office and he said, I've got this tape you've got to listen to. Uh, he played it and I think I was there for two hours listening to this tape. I thought, who is this? This is absolutely fantastic. And he said, well, it's this guy called Bruce Springsteen. Now, I'm sure that I shouldn't have done this, but Born to Run was one of the songs that I, I said, I love that song. I said, I want to do it. <laughs> and he said, well, I don't know. He said, he's coming out in America sometime. But I think, I, well, we're not sure. So I said, well, I'm going to do it. And uh, I did it. And I th- when I listen to it now, I can understand why his got, got, you know, well, it made him. But Born to Run made him. So, so life was against me there. You know, he didn't want me to be famous for Born to Run. He wanted Bruce to be famous for Born to Run. So I had to swallow that one. But I did actually use a couple of his songs, you know, as Sandy, Fourth of July, and a yeah. blue one, which is called The Priest, which when I I uh, thought, these lyrics, what do they mean? And uh, But I liked, the, I liked the song. I liked the way it went. I, I wanted to sing it. And I did, and I tried to put whatever emotion I felt about each particular line. And it's only like many years after that um, I knew that Bruce had never put it out. He never had an album. It's only like last year, I think, that he actually spoke about me doing it. Uh, so he brought his out. I don't know why he did it, really. But when you do listen to the lyrics, they are quite uh, quite heavy. You can take it one way or another about what he's talking about. But I, I know I know now what he was talking about, by what he was saying. I, I can't understand why he didn't release it. But at that particular time, I loved it so much. I don't care. I didn't care what happened. It was just I thought it was a great song and, and a great way of looking at the, the Trinity. Yeah. That's the way I see it. And did that influence you as a songwriter, do you think, in that period? Well, I mean, he came to see me at the bottom line oh. in um, in New York. You know, and then the, 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 you know, the guy who was on the door said, Bruce Springsteen's out here. Yeah, he said he wants to see you. So I brought him in and we sat down and we had a chat and he said, thank you very much for recording Sandy and the other things that you've done for me, it's been one of the greatest things that I've, you know, knowing you that like my albums and you, you like this and you like that. And I was, I was just dumbfounded, you know, because I was just, here was this in, immense star in front of me, thanking me, which uh, I thought was rather nice. We went out for a drink and about after about an hour, he said, I'm tired now, I think I'll go on. And I, I, you, I forgot how much younger he was than I, you know, at that particular time. But I have seen him since, you know, I've been to a couple of his shows where he always invites me, you know, come on back, we'll have a chat. But, you know, he's still going strong. It's, all those hits he's had all those many years ago from 19, I think it was about 19, just after 1974, 75, yeah. was it that? No, I don't yeah. remember. This is too far <laughs> gone. Now. So, yeah, he's made it one of the, the main stars in the world of, of popular music. You know, a fantastic, great guy. Now there's a light on yonder mountain It's calling me to shine There's a girl standing by the water fountain She's asking 
final song i wanted to ask you about is your new version the version that you released two or three years ago actually now of he ain't heavy he's my brother that you did for nhs charities during that covid period and your new version really added gravitas to what is a an outstanding song 
Well, you know, uh, I, I loved I loved that song. It was one of those songs that came along uh, via Tony, a forgotten song that had been around for a while and, and recorded by different people, and it had a message. And we thought, well, do the Hollies do this? I mean, it's, it's a big song. Do we take a gamble uh, and do it and see what happens? So we said we'd do that. We, so I know we had a full orchestra in the, in the big studio at Abbey Road. And um, I didn't play the intro on the harmonica. Um, a lot of people think I did. On stage, I did, but I did uh, because it was part of the orchestra that was there. I wish I could give you the guy's name. I think he's, he's died recently, yeah. but I can't remember what his name was. He was a brilliant harmonica player, yeah. like Larry Adler yeah. and all those people that played these chromatic things. With the but I could never play one of those with a button on the side. You know, mine with blues, blues harmonicas. And... Uh, yeah, and I know that I was I was in a, a booth, singing booth on my own, singing here and heavy, and it didn't really take me long to get into that track. And when you hear the actual harmonies on here and heavy, which is Terry, and, yeah. and which is Tommy, I don't well, you know, it's just one of those songs that it took a while, but then when it did take a while, when it actually got over that, it was like a huge hit all around the world. And I think that was probably because of the message that it has in that song, that, you know, when you see somebody who's in trouble, you should, you should give them a little help. You know, that was a long time ago. That was 1968. So there's a lot of people haven't taken any notice of that song and the message a lot since then. But it did. Re- it was released again in 1989. That's it, 89. Yeah. Made number one. Wonderful. Three weeks. Fantastic. And I, I do remember that when I sing that song on stage, I mean it. Um, it's got a story as well. It's a true story about Boys Town. It was, it's real. I don't know whether it's too real today, but it was real where they take orphans in. But I, I did look up the history of it again, the honour the other day. And there were different sort of uh, meanings of he ain't heavy. One, one of the things is that uh, somebody asked, uh, he saw a picture of, a, of a, a guy carrying his brother on his shoulders. And then there was a saying of, of somebody meeting someone saying, why are you doing that? Carrying that, that blowing your shoulders, and his reply was, oh, "He ain't heavy. He's my brother." Mm. So you know, but yeah, the meaning says it all in that song. It should be released again in about another fifteen years. So you thought that was um, given that what was going on a few years back, you thought it was quite resonant for that time. I didn't think that I should do it because the you know the way that I sang it, then I thought I could never ever sing it like that again. So what would be the point? And it was only Francis, who was my producer. Francis used to be with the Hollies in, in the 80s. And uh, he said, you should just do a piano. And I thought, well, that's pretty bare, isn't it? You know, I mean, you've got to have something that hides all the little down notes and the up notes. He says, no. He said, do it on a, do it on a dry mic. He said, practice. Practice it. So I did. I did best practicing in the bathroom, because when you're in the bathroom, it echoes. And you, you get that, you know, you get that sound, which, oh, there, there's that sound that I always used to like, that little bit of edge, you know, reverb on it, that little bit of thing. So he sent me the piano piece up. He said, here it is. I've shortened it. He said, but it, it means what it means. And and I sat here with, because I've got my microphone and I've got my computer and I've got all this and all this. And I thought, right, I sat there and I tried it and I tried it. And I found that the more that I sang it, it released my throat because I hadn't, I hadn't sung anything for quite a long time. Yeah. And there are points in it that I would have liked to have been able to straight sing it stronger. 
But, you know, when you've not been singing for that long on stage, you know, because when you've been on stage for two and a half hours, three weeks at a time, I think my, I could only do like four shows. Yeah. And then I need two days rest, you know. But the boys were a bit angry about that. Because if they're getting, can we get another night out of it? You know, I said, no. No, if you want me to sing. It was my ending in a way. But I don't know being that much older and, and being able to sing in a lower voice, which I did with that, I felt as if I, I, I actually did put more emotion into it because yeah. I knew what was happening around me. Uh, it may have not been my best interpretation of uh, Ian Heavy, but at least it was real. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad that we're out of it now. And, and well, not oh, yeah. free, but, you know, they're treating it like a cold now, aren't they? So, yeah, I still got to be very careful when I go out with my, my, my aging body. Yeah. <laughs> so very exciting period. You've got your forthcoming album coming out, I'll Never Forget. And um, is the plan just to maybe release a, another single and, and then keep songwriting? Sure. I mean, there's, um, there's vinyl out, there's the CD. Um, it's, it's all going out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those, you know, all those <laughs> things. Um, I'm doing interviews. I'll be doing some TV and uh, it's possible, but you never state it as fact because when you do that, things don't turn out that right. What I'm trying now is, is, is to maybe we could do, uh, Graham and I could do a video, yeah. like each time, like we've done the album and piece it together so it looks like we're together. I don't think that he'll be coming over here for quite a while and I, I don't think I'll be going over there for quite a while. So that might not be possible, but you never know. You know, because people say, well, come on, just the two of you, why don't you come on this special show and, and we'll make we'll, you know, we'll make it all comfortable and easy for you. And then you think, oh, yeah, this is what happened with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, I said, I don't think I can do that, Graham. He said, yeah, come on, it'd be the two of us. You know, wow, we'll have a great time. And all the time I was worried, even when I got off the plane, and stood outside the Waldorf. I said, what am I yeah. doing? You're crazy. And then I walked into the ballroom and uh, there, there was this band on stage and they had, and Graham was saying, he said, hey, man, come along. And when I walked in, everyone applauded. You know, and I go, oh, this is, this is pretty good. And yeah, I said, you, you've got your own microphone there. We're just going to do a rehearsal of, of uh, a bus stop and uh, a local woman. And I thought, oh, well, that's great. And he said, should we do Long Cool Woman first? I said, I haven't played that for years. He said, I know that, Al. He said, but the two guitarists that are in the group don't know how to do your riff. <laughs> <laughs> and I left. And I said, what do you mean you don't know how to do it? She said, there's a note missing. We don't know how you do that note. So I said, well, okay. So I got the guitar and I played it. And what a lot of people don't know, but they do know, because there's tabs now on, on mm. videos of people playing it and say, there's that note that's missing. And what I do on the second string as I'm going up it, I click it twice with, you know, instead of doing it once, I click it twice like that. And it adds that one note. It's like the, it's that the invisible note, which is there. And when I showed them, they went, oh, it's that easy, is it? And I said, there you go. So you wouldn't have been able to play that if I hadn't showed you. So that was, a, then I felt at home. And uh, it, it turned out that when I went on, he was the lead singer of, of Train and, and the lead singer of um, Maroon 5, who I'd never heard of. <laughs> he said, we're here to make it more comfortable for you. He said, just go out and enjoy yourself and sing the songs, which when you think about it, you know, you're actually singing live to about a billion people around the world. So, but apparently it went really well. It did. It went really, really well. Some sort of miracle happened, I think. 
So um, I'm glad that I did it because if I hadn't have done it, I'd have been kicking myself. And uh, Tony and Bobby couldn't make it because they were working. Carry on playing live, whatever the... Yeah, so whatever. Even Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm. Never mind. I enjoyed it. Maybe one of the final threads is, we were mentioning Buddy Holly at, at the start, but your lifelong friendship with Graham and partnership there and how you sort of bounce off each other is that continuous thread. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's times when I, I meet Graham and it depends in what environment we, we're in. If we're, there's a lot of Americans about, Graham is an American. Yeah. When I, when I sit down, I'm at a table with people from his homeland. Uh, a very, very good friend of mine died recently, and he was he was a big part in my life, a big part in Graham's life. And we were sat down with our wives, and uh, we were discussing this particular person. His name is Ron Stratton, a great influence in our lives. And we got to telling stories about the past and, and bringing back memories of when, when we weren't famous and things like that. And the more that I spoke to him and he spoke back to me because we were talking about past his voice changed and he started talking the way that that I'm talking now and I said there you are there you are I can see you still there and that that was a good thing to see under the circumstances so you know get him in the right in in the right mood in the right time it goes right back to the crime that I that I know Salford lads yes Salford lads he's a northerner when you know I'm an older but, you know, the other time, he's lived in America for such a long time, done so many great things with so many other people that it, it changed his life immensely in, in a way that he earned tons of money. And uh, he did some great songs. He's, he's world-renowned for what he does. He is a good guy. I just wanted to get rid of his Americanism. And then <laughs> it'll be even better. But, no, it was great doing the album with him. It really was, even though when we didn't meet. So he loves the album. I'm just going to try and get him to do a a little video of us both doing it. So that may happen or it may not. I've not sent in the email yet. And we're just about to do that. <laughs> so Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Alan. It's great to connect with you a decade on where I think the, the idea of uh, new solo material was, was starting to come in. And it's fantastic. You've now got two albums behind you and uh, going from strength to strength. I've got a 10-year contract. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make me 90. yeah i'll see you in another 10 years alan okay yeah take care thanks mate all right bye 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 He's wealthy. 
for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.